morning. So today we are going to be continuing the series on 1 John, and we're going to be covering 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. So if you want to take out your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and read right from the Bible. I'll let you get turned to those. Make sure I'm going the right direction. All right. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Go ahead and leave your, uh, go ahead and keep your Bibles handy. We're going to go through these uh, verse by verse here. So, so the first thing I want to talk about is abiding in God's love. In verse 13 we read, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he has given us of his Holy Spirit. What is the by this referring to? You have to go to the end of the sentence to see what the by this is re representing. It made it easier for me to understand if I just put the second part of the sentence first. Because he has given us of his Holy Spirit, we know that we abide in him and he in us. For us to abide in God and he to, and he to abide in us, we must have the Holy Spirit. And how do we get the Holy Spirit? by believing that Jesus died for us on the cross for our sins. There's a story that some of you may have heard about a pastor that had a dinner at the home of a couple in his church. And after he left, the wife had said to her husband, I think he stole our spoon. This bothered her for a whole year. And a year later, the couple had a pastor for dinner again. And I, unable to resist, the wife asked the pastor, did you steal our spoon last year? And the pastor replied, no, I put it inside your Bible. So we laugh at the story, but I know it does convict me. While I do not know that I've gone a whole year without looking in my Bible, there will be weeks that I know that I haven't been in the Word enough. I bring this up because of the importance of being in the Word and having a connection with God. John writes in his Gospel, in chapter 15, verses 26 through 27, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. When God sends us his Holy Spirit, he is giving us the ability to understand his word. You remember the posters when we were younger, when you used to have to cross your eyes for things to come into focus? They were called stereograms or magic eye posters. I remember as a kid staring at these things for hours and never getting it. Some people would look at them and get the picture right away. It would come right into view. When we receive the Holy Spirit, he has given us the ability to see the gospel without even crossing our eyes 
the gospel message begins to come into view. In the verses I just read, Jesus tells his disciples that he will be sending a helper, the Holy Spirit, from the Father, and the helper will bear witness to or testify about Jesus. He also goes on to say that because the disciples have seen him, they also will bear witness or testify. This is where being in the Word is so important for us to abide in God. By reading the words that are written by the disciples, we are getting eyewitness testimony from those who have seen and witnessed the things that Jesus did, including his death and resurrection. Because God sent Jesus to die for us, and we believe that Jesus died for us, we can be assured that we dwell in God and God in us. In the next two verses, 14 and 15, we read, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. John is reinforcing the fact that we, meaning the disciples, have seen Jesus. They are testifying that Jesus was sent by the Father to be the Savior of the world. You may remember how John opens his letter. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father, and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Or Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. By extension and through faith, we have access to the eyewitness testimonies of the people who knew Jesus best, his disciples, the people that he had handpicked to walk with him on his journey to the cross. We have access to these testimonies in God's word. Joel B. wrote in his book, The Epistles of John, the Christian anchors his assurance on the sure word of God, which endures forever. He finds insurance when he says amen to everything that God reveals about his son through the word, building his life on what God has spoken and done. When we confess that Jesus Christ has died for our sins and that he is our only answer for salvation, we are given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. The Holy Spirit begins to work within us. We begin to abide in God and there becomes an outward evidence that we are in true fellowship with him. One thing to note in verse 14, John calls Jesus the Savior of the world. Jesus is described the Savior of the world only two times in the New Testament. It is here in John, uh, 1 John 4, uh, verse 14, and also in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 4, verse 42, in the Samaritan response to the woman who encountered Jesus as well as the car. John writes, They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Now in John's Gospel, the phrase Savior of the world was used to proclaim that Jesus was not just there to save those who were Jewish, but the whole world. This is obviously an important proclamation to the Samaritans in the world for that matter. In John's letter, the phrase is used for a different reason. Keep in mind this letter that John writes was addressing many of the Jews that were seceding from the belief that Jesus had died on the cross for their sins. Many of them believed that they had not sinned and that Jesus as a Savior was not even necessary. 
In verse 14, John is reinforcing the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And without his sacrifice on the cross, they would be dead in their sin. Thinking about this makes me grateful for the resources that we have now. The people John was writing did not have the convenience of having the gospel of right in their hand. We have everything we need right at our fingertips. As we move to verse 15, John is giving assurance to the believers that if they confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God will abide in them and they will abide in God. Again, this mutual indwelling is only possible with the Holy Spirit, which is given to us when we confess and accept that Jesus has died for our sins. The reader should have confidence in believing this because they are receiving testimony from one of the men who has seen him and knew him personally. In verses 13, 14, and 15, I hope it is apparent of what John is hoping to convey to his readers. He is looking to give his readers assurance that what he is telling them is true. He is making sure that they understand that it's not because they heard it from a friend of a friend or got a Snapchat or saw it on their Twitter feed. But he and the other disciples, the men that Jesus hadn't picked, have seen it, heard it, and touched it. Verse 16 reads, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John starts verse 16 with the word so. This is stating that to this point in John's letter, we should have a fairly good idea of the kind of love that God has for us. If you remember in Jason's message last week, he talked about Jesus being God's one and only son. And God's love for us was so much that God, God's love for us was so much, sorry, I lost my spot, that he gave his one and only son to die for us in propitiation for our sins. This is evidence of not only his love for us, but the level and amount of love he has for us. I think of what Abraham must have been going through when he was try, tying up his son Isaac, as God had told him to do. And he was about to put him on the altar. The fact that Abraham was willing to do this, give up his one and only true son to obey God. We know that God did give Abraham a substitute in the last moments. But can you imagine the love and trust that Abraham must have had in God in those moments? Abraham was truly abiding in God. I could not imagine having to go through what Abraham went through in that that moment. But what what can we do to abide in God? I mentioned it earlier. We need to be in his word. We need to pray. Ask God to be a part of our lives. We need to have fellowship with our Christian brothers and sisters, sharing in each other's lives through times of joy, times of trial. As we do these things, we gain knowledge of God. Our faith in Him grows. Our confidence in Him grows. Our love for Him grows. And we begin to have a greater assurance, a love that God has for us. God's love pours out of Him and into us and from us into others. John writes, God is love. Remember, as Jason said last week, this does not mean we can put an equal sign between God and love, but God's nature is to love. If we are abiding in love, living in love, doing things out of love, we are living or abiding in God. Being someone who loves visuals, I drew up a cycle chart that made this easier to understand for me and maybe for you as well. Keep in mind that God initiates all of this by opening our eyes and bringing the gospel into view, as I mentioned earlier. As we testify that God has sent Jesus to die for our sins, God sends us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. God then abides in us. We, in response, abide in love, and then in turn abide in God. And then God continues to abide in us. The cycle goes on as we continue to feed it. 
and we keep Jesus at the focal point. For us to continue abiding in God, we must continue to fill ourselves with his word and his truth. We must continue to pray and trust in him. Keep in mind, we do all of this in response to the love he first showed us. Again, another visual comes to mind when I think of this. I think most of us are familiar with a strainer or a calendar and have drained spaghetti at one point or another. If you pour water into a strainer, and even though it has holes, it begins to fill up. If you stop pouring the water, the wet water eventually drains down. But if you continue to pour water in the strainer, it will stay full. I know that when I don't attend church for a couple of weeks, or I don't read my Bible on a regular basis, or pray on a regular basis, I can feel myself slipping away from God. Or God's love is draining from me. Maybe I start to get grumpy with the family. I start to get angry about small things at work. Either way, there becomes a less outward evidence that I am in fellowship with God. In God's, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 15, verses 4 through 5, Jesus describes the importance of our fellowship with him by the extension of the Father. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to be in constant relationship with Jesus. When we neglect the relationship, we become a branch that bears no fruit. When we lose focus of Jesus by not attending church, studying scripture, or praying, our minds begin to focus inward. We find that we are, we are starting to abide in ourselves rather than abide in the one who can really help us. And that's Jesus. So verse 17 reads, by this love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he, is also, because he is, so also are we in this world. In the verse, John speaks about God's love being perfected in us. This is not the first time he's mentioned this. John speaks of perfect love in chapter 2, verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And then in the second part of verse 12 in chapter 4, we, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And now in verse 17, by this is love perfected with us. When he writes by this in verse 17 there, it's, he's actually referring to the words in the second half of verse 16. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John is telling us love is perfected in us when, we are, for number one, we are obedient to his word, this does not mean that by our obedience we are earning our salvation. Jesus did that for us on the cross. What it does mean is when we begin to abide in God and God abides in us, there should be a noticeable difference in our behavior. It means that God has set up camp inside of us and we are beginning to act more and more like his son every day. Number two, we love one another. Most of us are familiar with Matthew chapter 22, verses 37-39. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's the great commandment. I do not think that Jesus could have made it any clearer than this. We must care about each other. It is important to remember that we are created in the image of God. We are his children. As we look around at our brothers and sisters in this room and think about how much God loves each and every one of us, loves us so much that he was willing to give his one and only son to die for us. We do not deserve it, but God did it for us. In response to God's love 
Our love for each other should set us apart. Number three, God's love is perfected in us when, when we abide in God and he abides in us. Again, we go back to the cycle. If we keep Jesus at the center of our lives, God's love will continue to pour out into us and that love then pours out into others. So why is it important that God's love is perfected in us? We find out why it is important to have perfected love in the second part of verse 17. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. This may sound familiar to you because John wrote something similar earlier in chapter 2, verse 28. And now little children, abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. When we are obeying God's word, loving one another, and we are abiding in God, and God is abiding in us, we can face the day of judgment without fear and without shame. Let's think back to the Garden of Eden for a moment. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, this is right after Adam and Eve had ate from the tree of knowledge, and God was looking for them. Adam said to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and hid myself. What was Adam afraid of? He was afraid of punishment. He knew he had done wrong. He knew he had not, did not trust in God. As Christians, we should not fear punishment from God. Love for God and the fear of God cannot coexist. When we continue to trust in Christ, our eternal happiness is secured. With Jesus standing in our place and clothing us with his righteousness, we have no need to be afraid. Paul wrote in chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our representative. And he took the punishment for our sins on the cross. The last part of verse 17 reads, Because he is also are we in this world. We are like Jesus in the fact that we stand in relation to God the same way he does. He is our representative. And his presence in this fallen world is the same as ours. And where we as believers fail, his love is perfect. On that day when we stand before God, he will look on us and he will not see our failures. He will see Christ, his son, in us. In verse 18, John writes, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I'd be remiss if I did not touch on the proper fear of God. We have spoken before about having a proper fear of God. This is the fear which is shown out of reverence and respect for God. Martin Luther compared this to the fear that a child has for his parents. Luther is thinking of a child who has a tremendous respect and love for his father and his mother and who dearly wants to please them. He has a fear or an anxiety of offending the one he loves, not because he's afraid of punishment, but rather that he's afraid of displeasing the one who is, in that child's world, the source of security and love. You can see the difference between these two fears. One is out of respect. One is out of dread. We should always respect God, and that respect should drive us to do the best we can do in this fallen world. And when we do fail, it should cause us to repent to God, not dread wrath from God. Christ has taken God's wrath for us that we do not have to dread that final day of judgment. When we reach spiritual maturity, God's perfect love gives us the confidence we need on that day. Verse 19, John writes, we love because he first loved us. Our love originates from God. 
When God sent Jesus down from heaven to earth, he showed incredible love. Jesus took on flesh and lived perfectly among his children. He did not take the easy road and live in a palace and surround himself with finer things in life. He did not live among kings and queens. He was not born into royalty. He hung out with fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots. He was tempted in the wilderness. He was ridiculed, and he eventually was crucified. He was sent down out of love of the world. We know this from probably the most quoted verse from the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I was talking to Christine as I was writing this message and I was telling her that it seems as I'm saying the same thing over and over, but I'm saying it differently. You know, they kind of talked about it in the, uh, the video we saw earlier for the kids. I think that is what John is doing in this letter. The concept that God loved us for no reason other than just to love us is hard for us to comprehend sometimes. It was hard to comprehend for those that were there to read John's actual letter. And John was someone that had first-hand knowledge of the information. This is why being in God's Word is so important. It is important that we hear this information repeated over and over again. It is important that we read these passages more than once. It is important that we commit some of these passages to memory. When we do these things, our confidence and our trust in God will continue to grow. God will abide in us. We will abide in love. Therefore, we will abide in God. I think I might have said that earlier. This love for God will manifest itself in our love for our Christian brothers and sisters. John writes a lot about loving our brothers and sisters in this letter. If we go back to chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he writes, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and he in him. There is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. When we are not loving our brothers and sisters, what kind of example are we setting for those around us that aren't believers? Now, it's understandable that the love for us, it's not always going to be pretty. We are all going to have moments with our families, at least I know in my family, that if someone were looking from the outside in, they would say, wow, those people do not get along at all. We are always going to have some disagreements with those that we are closest to. But we must always be looking to love our brother. You may try and fail, but if you are completely unwilling and do not have the ability to try, you are lacking the love for God. In the last two verses, 20 and 21, John says it very clearly. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Love for God and hatred for a brother cannot exist in the same heart. As stated earlier, it doesn't mean that we are always going to get along. The current concern here is the unwillingness to love your brother. There are many people out there that claim they love God, but when you see how they act toward God's children, it is evident that the love of God is not in them. Let's think of it this way. I love my family. There's nothing I would not do for my family, even to the point of dying for them. I think most of you probably feel the same way about your families. Now, if someone had claimed to be a friend of mine would talk bad about them or insult them or even try and hurt them, and as a father and a husband that would put my life on the line for them, How would I feel towards that person? How could that friend of mine possibly care for me if they did not care for the people I would give my life for? That's how we have to look at it. God loves his children. 
loves them so much that he would take on flesh, live with them, and ultimately die for them. If God would do that for his children, and that's us, and we cannot love one another, how can we possibly love God? Matthew writes in uh, chapter 25, uh, verses 35 through 40, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we always need to be looking out for one another. There may be times that we do not see eye to eye, but there must always be a willingness to help and support each other in times of need. This willingness to help and support comes from God. I go back to the cycle chart again. God abides in us. We abide in love, and we abide in God. From this, God's love pours out of us and into others. When this is happening, we can be assured that God's love is in us. I'm going to conclude with Jesus' words to the disciples on his last day. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have sent your son Jesus to show how to love. Let us leave here today showing that the same love to others so that it is evident that your love lives in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.